0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message We are in a series. This is message number 10 in this series on the Holy Spirit. It's not 10 messages so far on the gifts of the Spirit, although we have certainly talked about the gifts of the Spirit. We have, uh, we started on the day of Pentecost, just a quick recap. We talked about the day the, the Spirit was poured out on all flesh. After that, we did a message on tongues because that's one of the first things that happened. And we're going to get into that a little more deeply today as promised every week since then. And then we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, how he's not a force or an energy field but a member of the Trinity and as much of a person, not a human being, but a person as God the Father and God the Son. And then we talked about the power to be witnesses. We talked about guidance, the Holy Spirit guiding us in life. Uh, Then we did a little intro on the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we did 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter where we explained how, again, it's not an interruption, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are one long thought, one long idea on the gifts of the Spirit. When we start reading about the love chapter, Paul is not saying, okay, yeah, here's all the gifts and you're doing all these, but let me explain something that's even better than the gifts. Here is love. See how important love is? He's saying, if you want to know if you're using the gifts right, if you're operating in these gifts in the way that God designed them to be operated in, here's how you check. Love is not boastful. Love is not puffed up. Love does not seek its own. This is how you measure. Before you open your mouth to speak in tongues, before you open your mouth to prophesy, ask yourself, what is my motive? Is love driving me to say this, do this? So, then... Last week we looked, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the spirit and how it's not just about the gifts. And more importantly, and this is a message that Paul really seems to hammer, or at least the ones that come, it's the message that really comes through loud and clear to me as I read this passage, is that whatever else spiritual gifts do, and whatever they are, they are not a uh, li- they are not a measuring uh, tool to determine how spiritual somebody is. You can't look and say, wow, that person prophesied. That person laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Uh, that person spoke in tongues and say they must be spiritual. Because the, first, the, the Corinthians, the, the Christians in Corinth, were operating in these gifts, especially tongues. And Paul accused them of being carnal, of being babes. So spiritually immature people can operate in the gifts. What should we see in a mature believer? We should see increasing displays of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? This is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, then, and by the way, we talked about how all of the fruit of the Spirit resides in every believer, but that needs to be worked out through the process of life, sometimes through trials, sometimes through faith adventures, but we always have an opportunity to cultivate the gift of the Spirit. Then uh, finally, I think the last thing we talked about was, again, going through, we listed the gifts. We did a brief definition and explanation of the gifts and talked about the importance of desiring the gifts. Paul doesn't write, So there they are, you don't have to do any of these things, but if you do, here's the limits and here's how they work. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts, okay? Now, we are going to look today, uh, because the last two weeks, we sort of interrupted the series. I did a message on baptism, finished that message last week, and we did a big baptism service last week, and now we will finally get into chapter 14, and we're going to look. Um, we're going to see some very specific statements about tongues. We're going to see some clear instruction for the church and a call to self, a, a call for self-control and orderliness in the assembly. Now, you remember, you know, we did the baptism service last week, and while there might be different um, specific ways that different churches, different denominations, different traditions conduct baptism practically every, I can't think of a Christian uh, sect or denomination that says no, no baptism. We all agree that baptism is something that Christians should do. We might attach slightly different shades of meaning to it, but uh, we don't, but we also don't have three chapters anywhere in the New Testament that I can find that talk about the importance of baptism in one long address, like we do with the gifts, and here in chapter 14, specifically tongues. So this is really exciting and worth looking into. But first, before we get into 14, let's quickly go back to chapter 12. This is something I've referred to a number of times. After Paul introduces the gifts in chapter 12, he then talks about the body. The body of Christ, and how you're not the body of Christ, I'm not the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. What you are is a member of the body of Christ, just like the finger is a member of your body, and how we are all important, and how this is only going to work if everybody does what they were called, designed, gifted to do. And wraps it up here in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 29. Are all apostles? And what's the answer? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Then he goes into chapter 13. Now, this is where we get hung up. Don't want to sound like a broken record, but you are going to see the connection today when we get into 14. The clear answer he's expecting to these questions is no. But we already talked about this a little. Who did, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's the great commission. What else did he say? Heal the sick. What else did he say? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All right? But what if I don't have the gift of healing? You know, some are called to be evangelists. And they are gifted to be evangelists. We're talking now about the ministry gifts. Does that relieve you of the responsibility of preaching the gospel? Of sharing the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, and your your people? No, of course not. We're all called to do these things. You don't have to be operating in a full-on spiritual gift to pray for the sick. But some people will find uh, extraordinary results, especially in the assembly at a particular time. And it's the same way, you know, he'll go on to say... I hope I remember to say it in my notes and in context, but I want, I want you to see something right up front. In chapter 14, at one point he says, you can all prophesy one by one. Now, I, I maintain that he's not recommending that. He's simply saying the ability, the gift of prophecy there is available, and God is not a respecter of persons, and if he wants to manifest the gift of prophecy, he can do that to everybody. You can all do that. and so when, But right here he says, Are all prophets? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Uh, And we need to understand that, again, the main thing he's addressing is what happens, how we do this when we are assembled as the body. I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me back up a little bit. When we, uh, because when it says, do all speak with tongues, that's been a little bit of a uh, burn the saddle for a lot of charismatic apologists over the years. Because what do we say? When we say you need to uh, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second blessing, the something that happens subsequent to your salvation experience, your being born again. Uh, and what, and, and what the, the very common expression, since I have been in the charismatic movement, which goes back to the 70s, uh, well, at least my reading goes back to the 70s, I haven't been alive quite that long. But, they always say, have you received, and you finish this sentence for me, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with, what? With the evidence of speaking in tongues. This was on the questionnaire I had to fill out when I went to Rama. You too, Jeff, I'm sure, anybody who went to Rama And maybe a different, any other Bible schools. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And it's a legitimate question. And we talked about that in that second message in this series about how the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence clearly was speaking in tongues. It says this on more than one occasion. Wow, they knew they had received the Spirit uh, because we heard them speaking in tongues when they saw that they had received the Holy Spirit. And the only evidence that had given so far was that when this happened, people spoke in tongues. And that's fine. And I believe it still can serve as evidence, but it's a little backwards if when we are teaching about the Holy Spirit, when we are inviting somebody to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we prep them and say, now, you should expect to speak with tongues. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive this facility. doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and suddenly shake you and take over and possess you in the, in the sense that we think of like a demon possession. It says, and, we, fo- and we, put, we focus on this. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is good. I think this coaching is actually good. But when we do that, we remove the evidentiary nature of tongues. Do you understand? It becomes a circular argument. Uh, How are you praying in tongues? Because I got filled by the Spirit. How do you know you got filled with the Spirit? Because I'm praying in tongues. Because I'm speaking in tongues. Well, how's that happening? Well, through the Holy Spirit. If I already know ahead of time, and if I expect to, and I desire to speak in tongues, and I'm primed and I'm ready, uh, then it's not necessarily evidence that it happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think you understand. You just haven't made up your mind whether you agree yet. But that's okay. We'll get there, I think. Do all speak with tongues? I believe that every spirit-filled believer can and should, but not because it's the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. Paul, again, throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into this thing when he talks about the gifts differ and God distributes these gifts as he will and then ask these questions, can all, do all. And we get the love chapter. Remember, I'm, let me fast forward a little bit here and get right to the beginning of chapter 14 because he says this in verse one, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. There it is again. But especially that you may prophesy for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But when he who prophesies speaks edification, sorry, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets, that the church may receive edification. A couple of important clues here. And by the way, this chapter is pretty straightforward, except for one, I think, confusing passage that we're probably not going to get to until next week. I've got too much to cover today, but I promise we will go back and get to the, what I find uh, at least a potentially confusing passage about tongues being a sign for the unbeliever. Um... <clears throat> So anyway, all that. Said, read chapter 14 on your own. You should have been doing that by now. I've assigned that homework. Read these three chapters again and again. You should have them pretty well, uh, I'm not saying memorized, but you ought to be very, very familiar with them by now. And he goes on here to say, goes on right after this to say if, if, that if he came back to Corinth in person and all he did was speak in tongues to them, that he would be doing nobody any good. It'd be no different than if a foreigner came in and spoke to them without a translator or an interpreter. Or like saying, it's like saying, he could do it, but it's meaningless to anybody who's hearing it. It's like saying, uh, uh, I can play uh, the piano. I can't. I mean, I can, there's some things I can play, but I really don't know what I'm doing. Same with the guitar. Uh, Dick up there on the saxophone. Uh, how many of you ever for the first time, picked up a a brass instrument or a woodwind or something. and was surprised that when you blew in it, it made no noise other than the breath. Anybody ever do that? You thought all you had to do was blow in it? Turns out you have to, you have to spit in it, right? And it's a little bit different with a reed instrument, a woodwind. You just got to, it's this, uh, you got to have a special touch, make this thing vibrate. And then there's all that stuff where you got to put your fingers on the right keys in order so that, so I can go up there. And if I start pounding on these keys, is that playing the piano? I mean, I'm doing it. I know what I need to do, I, and I can understand the mechanics. I push this button, it trips this hammer, and it hits this string, and it makes this sound. So I'm playing it. But, and I can get up there and just go to town, and I might be having a ball, but it's probably not going to bless you. Right? Uh, and this is really apropos of nothing, but this is what I was thinking of when I was thinking about the the, the saxophone. When I was in high school, uh, I got to spend one of my hours, like right before, right after lunch, just kind of hanging out in the music room, helping Mr. Cahill clean stuff up. It was me and another guy. Jeff, you, did you do that sometimes too? And uh, a, another guy there, uh, a younger kid who was a saxophone player, taught me, he says, here's how you hold the saxophone, here's how you... And he taught me to make noise with the, and, and Jeff taught me a little bit on the tuba. And it was just all these different, it was fascinating. I never learned to play either one of these instruments, but I at least could pick them up and make the noise. I learned how to do that thing with my lips to make the saxophone sound like a saxophone. And he told me where to put the fingers, and he taught me to play one little thing. And we, you know, we had every, uh, an hour every day, but this was a real simple thing. I learned it, you know, the first time he showed it to me, but it was the intro to Sesame Street. That's all I learned. That part right there. I didn't go any further. A couple years later, I met Joe at college, and I'm over at his house for the you know, first or second time maybe, and I'm checking out his record collection up in his room, and, and he's got a saxophone up there. How long did you play saxophone? Did you play it in high school? Uh, one, year. one year in high school, but he, but, but he still had the horn. I said, oh, can I see that? He says, uh, yeah, it takes, I said, I, and so I'm doing this thing like I've never held one, and he tells me how to, to put my mouth on it and everything, and, and so, oh, I got some sound coming out of it. Where, where would you put your fingers? And so he shows me, and I just kind of move three fingers, I'm blowing in, and then I'm just like, hey, I think, and Joe's like, oh, this, pro, this amazing, this gifted saxophone player. He's going to be, man. that's what I had to kind of tell him. Now, I actually, I learned that a couple years ago. I just kind of need to be reminded where I put my fingers on it. But apart from that, you're not going to impress anybody just by blowing a horn. In fact, Paul talks about a horn specifically. If the horn makes an uncertain sound, the people hearing it don't know how to respond, don't know whether they're supposed to run away or charge into the battle or what. And that's how good, that's, that's about how much good tongues does anybody. When you stand up and just speak in tongues to the congregation. Now, but interesting what he says. If I pray in a tongue, what? My spirit prays. The person who is participating in this is actually being blessed, being uh, built up. I got way off track here. Hang on a second. Here it is. The first big clue is that, again, he is talking about what takes place in the assembly. Look at verse 5 there. I wish you all spoke in tongues. That's an odd thing to say if not everybody can speak in tongues. But again, in this case, the context is in the church. So yeah, in the next section, he stresses the importance of interpretation. The fact that a public utterance in tongues... Uh, Does the congregation no good. He hits this this thing pretty hard, doesn't he? And why? This is where the picture of the church services at Corinth begins to really emerge. Why would he hammer this unless this was exactly what was going on? So again and again, we see it. The gifts are not to make you appear spiritual. They are to build up the rest of the church. Let's move on to verse 13, and we'll make some connections here. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. This is money right here. This is where he really gets to the heart of the issue. This is the clear delineation between speaking in tongues, that is the public utterance, the manifestation of the gift, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and praying in tongues. But don't I have to speak in tongues to pray in tongues? Yeah. Uh, That's why there's even confusion about this. Paul himself talks about speaking in tongues when he clearly means, in the context of what he's writing, praying in tongues. But it's obvious he's talking about two different things. And he's encouraging both, but places the value of praying in tongues as much higher than the public utterance, unless there is an interpreter. Again, he never disses the public utterance of tongues outright. There was just apparently, I mean, it's overwhelmingly apparent that what you had in Corinth were a lot of public utterances in tongues and zero interpretation. So nobody's getting blessed. They're all just pretending to be blessed. Or they're just trying to show off how spiritual they are. Uh, And I'm sorry, but this is where I get exasperated with guys like, I'm not going to name who. I almost did but some of these self-appointed guardians of doctrinal purity. You remember how I said uh, a couple times now about how it seems to be getting harder and harder to maintain the hard cessationist position. Uh, That more and more people, more and more denominations, and certainly more and more churches within traditionally cessationist denominations are softening in their stance toward the gifts because they just can't really hold up a good scriptural case that the gifts have ceased. Uh, so I said it's getting harder, but don't mistake that uh, to think that I mean or, or i am naive enough to think that that's universal. There are some who are still dead set against uh, the embracing of the gifts of the Spirit today. Uh, some who have identified themselves, aligned themselves with an anti-charismatic stance uh, that it would, and they've done it so rigidly that it would take a class B miracle to free them from it because they've written whole books and hosted conferences dedicated to snuffing this out or ridiculing it um, and simply combating charismatic expressions of Christian worship. Anyway, I get furious when I see this passage, when I read this passage, and I know that some people read it, and they come away Uh, And some of them are genuinely knowledgeable in the scriptures, but the message they get is, uh, from this whole passage, I guess they would probably sum it up as, since tongues doesn't benefit anybody, don't do it. When that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying tongues is very, very valuable. It's always valuable for the person who is praying in tongues, but it's only valuable to the body if it's spoken, if it's uttered, and then interpreted so somebody else can understand it. Now, but this, this is not at all what Paul is writing here. He's not just saying, eh, hey, yeah, tongues. He's not poo-pooing anything. It also is, it, it, uh, bears pointing out that when he talks about praying in the Spirit, in this context, it's, it's clearly synonymous with praying in tongues. And sometimes we say that. Let's just spend some time praying in the Spirit. But again, his mind is unfruitful. So what's the point? He turns right Paul turns right around and dresses it. Face dresses first. My spirit's praying. My spirit's edified. My mind is unfruitful, so what am I going to do? Oh, I'm also going to pray in words that I understand. I'll give you two uh, examples, two concrete examples from experience. One I've shared with you before, and, and you're aware of both these, either because I've shared them or because you've experienced them. When I was at Canaan Land, my first occupational ministry job, uh, the stresses of that job were incredible at times. And I want, this isn't a sob story, this isn't a poor me story. It was just, it was a hard environment for a number of reasons. And the care of these 20 guys weighed heavily on me as the resident director. I wasn't the boss of the ministry, but I was the guy who lived there and, and had to walk through these situations with them. And I knew these guys very well. And so it became my habit in the cool, days of the evening, you know, in southern Alabama, the cool of the evening might have been 85 degrees, but I'd walk the grounds and I would pray for these guys one by one. I would, I didn't have to have a list. Uh, I might have jotted a specific prayer request or two, but I knew the name of every guy. I could just visualize going down the hall. I'm going to pray for these two guys in this room. Then I just went down the list of my mind, prayed for them, everything that I knew to pray for them. Sometimes I could do that in 20 minutes. Sometimes it took me 45 minutes. But I would walk and pray until I felt, sense that I had prayed everything I needed to pray. But often, often, in fact, pretty much every night, I would get to the end of praying everything that I knew about these guys' lives and struggles and prayer needs and still did not have a release to stop praying. I've got nothing else I can pray with my mind. So I began to pray in the Spirit. It is the Spirit who is now giving me utterance to continue praying. And this is powerful prayer because if it's God who is praying through me, those prayers are perfect. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, the flip side of that, maybe reversing that, is on Monday night prayer, Saturday morning prayer. When we gather, we will spend some time in praise and worship. After we share, after we discuss some things, share some needs, we'll get up, we'll share, spend some time in praise and worship, and then begin by praying in the Spirit. And when we do that, it sort of aligns us, very much aligns us, with the direction God is moving and how we should pray after that. We'll spend several minutes praying in the Spirit, and then we'll begin to pray, uh, speak some things out, so that we can agree in faith about the things we're praying about. Pray in that Spirit some more. So, there's not a formula here. Start praying in the Spirit. Then pray with the understanding. Start praying with the understanding. Switch over to the Spirit. It's just an invaluable tool in the toolbox of the praying believer. Now, another reason Paul stresses the difference here, and it's one of the most potent statements about the, uh, about the assembly that you will find in Scripture Uh, when he says, and we just read this, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? You see what he's saying here? That when we speak, or in this case, when we pray out loud in the assembly, one of the most important reasons we do that is so that the rest of the congregation can agree. There's power in agreement. What good would a prayer meeting be if we gathered here on Monday nights, Saturday mornings, and we all gather in the same room and pray silently? Or under our breath, or we go to different corners? What's the point of gathering? We are here so that we can say amen. So that we can say, me too. I agree. So be it. Look at the very next next passage here. It's still in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's not talking about praying here. He's talking about speaking to the congregation. Again, I can see how some would imagine that Paul is kind of uh, diminishing the importance of a public utterance of tongues. This I can at least respect. If they take the line that what he's saying is, look, since no one understands tongues, unless it's interpreted, why don't we just skip the tongues part and just prophesy? That at least makes sense in a way, but that's not what he's saying. Remember, even though we all benefit from this letter, it was written originally to a specific congregation to address a specific issue. And what was this issue? You're speaking in, it's not, hey, you're spending too much time speaking in tongues and it's a waste of time. He's saying, you're doing these public utterances and nobody's interpreting, so nobody's being blessed. Okay? So either be prepared to interpret your own tongues or just prophesy or just be quiet. Now, but it would be a heck of a thing to come to the conclusion that Paul is dismissive of tongues in any way when he says, I thank my God, I speak in tongues more than you all. What's he saying there? Well, this is an apostolic privilege, and I'm thankful that I'm an apostle even though you're not. No, he's saying, I'm thankful that I have learned to take advantage of this gift of this facility, uh, and I wish you would too. Meanwhile, I thank God that at least I'm doing it. Uh, It's because I understand that when I pray in tongues, I'm edified. I'm built up in that process. But again, in the church, my purpose is to build others up. And I can't do that just by speaking in tongues in front of you. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, do I have time to get into this next part? I think I do. Can you listen fast if I talk fast? Now, there's some other stuff we need to cover in this chapter over the next week, possibly two weeks. But there's something else I wanna peel off here and take care of uh, to give you a practical application. Pray in the spirit, mind is unfruitful. And this right here is why we put so much emphasis on praying in tongues. Why do we as charismatics, this is the one thing, I don't know, it might differ from year to year, decade to decade, and certainly from church to church, But this has been the one thing. What is one phenomenon that you associate with charismatic churches? If you're not a charismatic, certainly. Uh, What's one thing they do that we don't do? What's one thing that, well, they do that tongue stuff. And it's been a very contentious thing in some cases. uh, Certainly at certain points in history. But this, um, just as I said earlier, when he says you can all prophesy one by one. There's this clue there that, again, the emphasis is that in all the gifts, God can use anyone who's willing to be used. And in that sense, you can all speak in tongues. Even in, the, in the, the assembly, God can use anybody. Again, he's not saying you all should every Sunday any more than you all should prophesy every Sunday. But you all can, because God can use anybody. Be open to these things. But, uh, once again, the emphasis... When he's talking about how we should, uh, or emphasis I think we need to look at when he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, is the value of devotional tongues, the prayer. When we pray with our understanding, with our minds, which, thank God, are being renewed day by day, sooner or later, our flesh is going to get in there We're going to pray something wrong. If if somebody were listening to our prayers and grading them, uh, uh, every phrase, lining it up with the Bible, uh, with some doctrinal truth, some point of theology, sooner or later we're going to say something. You can't really pray that. That's not scriptural. Or we're going to pray something. How many of you have ever, I may have once or twice, had to go to God and say, hey, you remember that thing I prayed really hard about uh, two weeks ago? Never mind. You know what I'm talking about? I now see that was a foolish thing to pray for, and I'm glad. I'm kind of digging up that seed. I'm glad you didn't answer it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Wow. What am I teaching you guys for? You have flawless prayers, and you've never... I hope you're just either not listening or embarrassed to raise your hand, because otherwise I think you're lying. But... When we pray uh, in the Spirit, we can have confidence that what we are praying is 100% in line with the will of God. And it's this great mystery how God accomplishes His will on earth through the prayers of the believers. And in order to get the right prayers prayed, the Holy Spirit Himself prays through us. That is exciting to me. Look at 1 John. If I'm praying a perfect prayer... A prayer in line with the will of God. Look at this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And this is one of those semi-trite little sayings that I actually agree with, that when we pray in the Spirit, we bypass the bottleneck of the intellect. When we pray in the Spirit, we bypass the bottleneck of the intellect. There's nothing wrong, nothing at all wrong with praying with our understanding. Paul says, do this too, right? And we should uh, absolutely use uh, our God-given intelligence. But humble yourself enough to know that you can't possibly know enough about everything to pray about everything that you're supposed to pray about perfectly and completely, because your knowledge is limited and you still have Uh, remnants of that sin nature and that fleshiness that's going to taint your prayers in some way. So let him work through you. Give him the opportunity uh, to pray through you. Here's another thing in Jude uh, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And there's one more scripture I'll share with you. Speaking of tongues, not necessarily speaking of speaking in tongues. But in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, we read this. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a word, of, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among, among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. We're a word of faith church. We put a lot of emphasis on the power of our tongue, the power of our words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Be a good thing if we could tame the tongue, wouldn't it? to train the tongue even, right? Too bad that we can't train it to speak in agreement with the Word of God. How do we know it can't be done? says right there, no man can tame the tongue. Does it say the tongue is untamable? No, it says no man can tame the tongue. God is not a man. God can tame your tongue, and one of the greatest things you can do to cooperate with that taming and with that training process is to yield it on purpose regularly to the Holy Spirit and pray in the Spirit. It's an act of faith. It's one of the purest acts of faith that that I do on a regular basis is just trust that when I pray in tongues, that is the Holy Spirit praying through me. Now, at this point, but before I wrap this up, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss uh, our baptizees, Kathy and Sophia, as ushers. You'll need to go get the fifth and sixth grade class and let her know you can go out. They go out this, this way. Go down the hall. You can, you can change. If, you, do you need to change or anything? Are you are ready? Okay. Um, but anyway, go on out there, and I'll have you and Sophia come back in that door. The ushers will let you in in just a minute. And meanwhile. Praise and worship team, are you coming up here at this time? Or at least some instruments, some musicians. Let me uh, make a couple of offers slash invitations to you. Why don't you stand up with me? You've been sitting a while. When we started this series on the Holy Spirit, when we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, Uh, And we've pointed out several times since then that Jesus is God's gift to the world. And the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. But let me start with that first gift. I just kind of wrapped up here saying, boy, if you think you know everything, that you have such insight and such a perfect view of everything... Uh, that you can pray perfectly and completely without the help of the Holy Spirit you need to humble yourself you at least need to understand that you need to pray about what you're praying about Lord help me to pray for this right because what we pray is important Uh, and it's the same way sometimes the hardest thing to do is to lead a good person to faith in Christ uh because they might say, well, there's something valuable in Christianity. I appreciate the higher purpose, the higher meaning of uh, the value, of the relationship and the service of the church. But what do I need saved from? I've never really done anything that bad. And it comes down to this question of holiness. Who are you comparing yourself to? There is only one holy. There's only one righteous. There are none righteous among mankind. We all inherited a sin nature. Now, some of us obviously throughout history have manifested this evil this sinfulness to uh, obvious degrees and more and more obvious degrees from individual to individual but none of us is without sin this is what the bible tells us what we need to recognize is that we were created by god for relationship with him and that it is our sin that separates us from that that keeps us out of that relationship it is sin that brings death into our world and into our our experience and our life and the only escape the only salvation the only rescue from that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ the wages of sin is death sin every uh, degree of it cries out for judgment and Jesus God gave his son Jesus God the son took on the nature of man minus the sin and went to the cross in our place so that the judgment our sin cried out for was poured out on him now who did he do that for John three sixteen says he did it for the world great so we're all covered not so fast whoever believes Romans 10 9 if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved now if you desire to be in right standing with God we are talking about heaven and hell here by the way but we're also talking about the life you were created to live and the part you were meant to play As a member of the body of Christ in this assembly. If you desire to be born again, to be saved, to become a Christian today, I want to pray with you. I'm going to invite you up here in just a minute. If you are a believer, if you say, I made that, Scott, I prayed that prayer 10 years ago. I prayed it 10 days ago. I prayed it whenever. And I've never turned my back on that. I believe I'm saved. Uh, are you walking in the power are you being the witness and are you being the blessing to the body of christ that you think you're supposed to and if you're not i want to ask you this have you ever received the baptism of the holy spirit again i'm not asking you have you spoken in tongues i said have you have you received that promise of the father I'm not going to repreach everything I just said about tongues but I believe it's part of the package and you should be excited about that. I want the Holy Spirit I just don't want to speak in tongues. Why don't we start with do you want the Holy Spirit and let God decide how he deals with that other stuff. So I'm going to pray a prayer and I know I'm looking at a room full of people that I think are pretty much born again spirit baptized people I just never want to take that for granted and don't let anybody in here You might be out there right now thinking, everybody in here thinks I'm saved, so I don't want to go down here and get saved. It would be embarrassing. Or same way with the Holy Spirit. Don't let that sweat you at all. Don't let that rob you from what God has for you. Amen? So let me pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the things that only you can do. And I'm asking, Lord, and I believe it's the prayer of every believer in this room that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father, has not received the finished work of Jesus Christ as payment for their sins, that you would move on them, that you would convict them and grant them the humility and the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to respond to the offer that only you can make and come and receive that free gift of eternal life today. I pray for every believer in here who is not walking in the fullness of the power that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you grant them the same thing, those same qualities, to come and receive and be empowered by your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website, at livingwordfamily.org and remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel